Hello, and welcome to Tuesday Thanks, presented by Leeds Hospitality Group. I'm your host, Brian Proctor. Join me as we sit down to chat with yet another industry leader. Our guests come from a wide range of professions across the globe. We'll take the time to learn about their journey, where it started, and where they are today. We use this opportunity to allow the guests to thank an individual or individuals that played a key role in their career understand what they learned from the experience and how they have incorporated it into their own development and growth. Gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Not only can it help your mental well-being, it can also improve your physical health. So join us as we share some great stories, thank a lot of wonderful people, and of course, share some laughs. Let's do this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tuesday's Thanks. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Rob Mangiarelli, president of Atrium Hospitality. Based in Alfreda, Georgia, Atrium Hospitality manages over 80 hotels, covering 13 brands in 29 states. Rob, thanks so much for setting aside the time today to chat. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. I've had a chance to listen to a couple of these, and I think it's just a phenomenal thing that you're doing here. And for those of us who have been in the business for as long as we have, it's actually great to stop and look back and think about all of the people that we've met and the things that we've done. And sometimes you get so busy with your life that you forget to look back and do that. So I appreciate you having this podcast and giving me the opportunity to do that. Well, thanks. That's very kind. And yeah, it really stemmed out of, you know, during the pandemic, I just started thanking people every Tuesday you know, on LinkedIn. And then it brought up memories and it did all of that. And when you're, you know, you're a young guy, so it's not as bad, but for us old guys, you know, it really takes a little bit of time to reminisce and all the successes you've had, the failures, the lifelong friends we've created. So listen, I'm going to start like I always do at the very beginning. You graduate from one of the most prestigious universities in the country at Stanford University, and you're back in your hometown of Colorado Springs. You're working night audit. You and I started in this business the same way. My first job out of college, of course, I wouldn't compare my school to your school, but that's a different topic. It was night audit at the West End in Calgary. So what brought you to that night audit position at that Holiday Inn in Colorado Springs? How do you go from graduating and then I'm assuming you just moved home and then just took a job or, or how did that all come about? Yeah, yeah, that's one of life's great mysteries. How do you go to Stanford and become a night auditor? I think my parents spent many sleepless nights wondering that same thing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So, you know, when I was at Stanford, I bounced between a couple of majors. I was an economics major. And then for two years, I was a computer science major. And then I went back to being an economics major and I wanted to be a math teacher or perhaps a lawyer. And I couldn't figure that out. So I said, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to figure out what I want to do. So while I was back in Colorado, I was like, all right, I need to do something to keep myself busy, but I didn't want to do it during the day because that's when I was looking for a job or playing golf. And I saw this job opportunity at the Holiday Inn and it was overnight and it sounded like a, a finance job. So I was like, okay, great. I'll give this a chance. So I went in, I interviewed, I'm talking to the general manager of the hotel, Mark Hayes, 
who had started in that hotel as the bellman oh, wow. and, and worked his way up to general manager. And he said, oh, my gosh, you have a Stanford degree. I'll give you 50 cents more an hour <laughs> to take this job. And I was like, whatever, I, I'm clearly not doing this for the money. But I took that job. And this was back in the days. And I'm, I'm a lot older than you give me credit for. But this was back in the days when we actually did night audit. We'd, we'd manually run the credit cards and you'd manually do the income audit. You figured out how business flowed, how the revenue moved from the PMS into the PL. And every morning I'd get my free breakfast, which was the biggest perk of working night audit, is you'd get breakfast in the restaurant. And Mark would come down and he would sit there and review the daily report. And we'd talk about business from the day before. And that's kind of the point when I realized this isn't yeah, just this $7.50 an hour job. This is actually a business that I had never thought of. I didn't spend a lot of time in hotels growing up. So it, I just kind of fell into it. Well, it's, it's funny. And you are young because you used the word PMS when you were a night auditor. When I was a night auditor, we had the NCR 450, which was this old register that you had to put up the pickup balance, put it in and actually do the charge. And our PMS was a board that had like if the room was vacant and clean, it was green. If it was occupied, it was another color, dirty. It was red. And but I love night audit because, like you said, you really found out how everything came together and there were no bosses around. Oh yeah. You're, I mean, you had the run of the house. You could do whatever you want, but you learned everything. Yeah, you learned how to deliver papers in the morning. That's when I learned my, how to drink coffee, which I now <laughs> drink a pot every day, but I didn't drink coffee through college until I started working night on it. And I had to make coffee and have it ready in the lobby at four in the morning. And you just get a sense for how, Everything comes together. And, you know, the worst part about night audit, you showed up, you know, at 1030 at night and you'd say, okay, how many rooms do I have available and how many check-ins do I have? And they say, we well, have five rooms and nine arrivals. And you're just praying that at two in the morning, you're not walking somebody down the street. Yeah. People don't realize how much, what I thought was how much fun you have on nights because everything happens at night, right? Oh, like yeah. all the... All the police raids, the you know the, the suicides, the everything happens. It seems to happen tonight because there's usually alcohol involved or something. But you touch on the arrivals, you touch on departures, you touch on you're going like again. We had to go to the restaurant, and we had to do all the manual stuff on the cash register to bring those documents over and all the checks and the bills and and we just had so much. I mean, we used to play hockey in the you know like ball hockey in the lobby. Our lobby was so big until I think it's, I think our executive assistant manager was a guy, old Western guy named Pat Kelly showed up one night at two in the morning for some reason. We're sitting there playing hockey in the lobby. That didn't go over well, but we, we had a good time, but enough about that. So you, you fall into this business haphazardly. You're at the holiday Inn. how do you get over to the Hyatt from there, because you had a phenomenal 25, like I said, you're too young to have had a 25 year career at Hyatt, which is remarkable. How does that come together from that beginning at Holiday Inn? 
Well, it all started with me getting turned down for a job. So I applied for a job at the Broadmoor, which is one of the icon luxury hotels in the country in Colorado Springs. And they said, you don't have enough experience to work in our credit department. So I'm continuing to look. And this is again, back when ads were posted in newspapers. And I see an ad in the paper for an assistant controller at the Hyatt Regency Denver Tech Center. So I drive up there and I'm meeting with HR and they said, I'm sorry, we've filled that position internally, but we have a credit manager position available. And we talked and she looked at my resume and she said, wait right here. She ran and got the HR director and the HR director came in and interviewed me and she said, wait right here. She ran and got the controller and he came in and he said, wait right here. The general manager came in and he said, look, I'm going to offer you a job. It's going to pay $7,000 more than you make right now. We want you to start on Monday. I said, I'm in. And, and that's how it all started. And it was because they were fast enough to make that decision right there that I didn't drive away thinking I came up for an assistant controller job and they already had that turned away. And now they're talking about something else. And, and then that turned into a, a pretty good career. Yeah, I'll say, you know, it's too bad we can't hire like that anymore, right? Because I, I hear horror stories about a, a friend's son was looking at a job and the amount of pre-stuff they have to fill out and then going through interviews with so many levels. It's like it was and it was for, you know, it was for a rooms division position or director of rooms division or whatever the title was. But it's like, my God, it shouldn't take you two weeks to go through that process. And, and then we wonder why we can't find people. That, that's right. That's right. We need to be better at that as an industry if we're going to yeah. continue to get kids interested in our business and in the door so that they can fall in love with it the same way we did. Yeah, yeah I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, hire for the person. We can train them to do anything. Get them, you know, and again, one out of every three is going to love it. One out of three is going to hate it because it's not for everybody. And that second person out of the three is that, how do you get them over the line to make a career in there? And I think it, the more fun you make it, the better perks, the, you know, all of that stuff. But we could have an entire show on that discussion. But let's get back to you. So you're at the Denver Tech Center. You spend, I, I love your career progression. You spend a year there. And then I think they move you to Atlanta. Yeah, that was interesting. So this is where I'd say my career really started. Hyatt Regency Atlanta was the first atrium hotel in the country. It was one of those hotels where if you worked at Hyatt, you worked at the Hyatt Regency Atlanta. You're one degree of separation from anybody in the company because you all have something in common. And I wasn't supposed to go to Atlanta. So Jim Melvin was our divisional controller at the time and Jim kick-started my career. He was one of those guys who knew everybody in the company. He was a 30-year Hyatt person. He was a divisional controller based in Atlanta and he called me one day and he said, we have this opening for assistant controller in Austin. We want you to consider it. And I said, oh, Austin, never been there, but I'd love to go. And he goes, okay, great. Two days later, he called me and he said, we filled the position in Austin with somebody else internally but we have this chief accountant position available in Atlanta. And I said, all right, fantastic. When do I start? And we had a joke at Hyatt that Hyatt start stands for have your ass there tomorrow. 
And so they offered me the job and they said, we want you there on Monday. So I pulled up a map to figure out where Atlanta was because I had never been east of Colorado at the time. And I got in my car and I drove to Atlanta. And that was a fantastic opportunity. Now, I was only in Atlanta for nine months, but what a wonderful experience. I was 12 at the time and, and I walked into the office. We had 30 people working in Atlanta and the hotel had been open for 30 years. And one of my staff accountants walks into my office on my very first day and she said, look, honey, we've had hundreds of you come through here. I have worked in this hotel longer than you've been alive. There isn't much that you're going to teach me. And she was right. There wasn't much I was going to teach her, but I learned a ton. Mm -hmm. Just working in that beast of a hotel where everything flows through, it was really a fantastic experience. And I think that for anybody in our business, you need to work at different size hotels to really understand the difference of what you can do and what you can learn and how it all comes together. And for me, Atlanta was that fantastic experience. And on top of it, I met my wife there. So my wife was the public relations manager at the hotel. She started a month after I did. And like any hotel relationship, I think our first date was New Year's Eve. After working the New Year's Eve party, all of the hotel people ended up at the hotel bar at two in the morning. Yep. And that's why it's so easy for hotel people to move from hotel to hotel, because you have a built-in family of friends and people that you can relate to. And that, you know, that started now, what's now almost 25 years of, of marriage for us. That's awesome. I agree. I mean, not only different sizes of hotels, but different you know, resort versus convention versus city center versus suburban. And, and all that experience that you gain from those different environments helps create the person or the leader that you become. And it's a shame now that a lot of the younger kids don't want to move as much as, as we, you know, I didn't have a choice. I just went wherever they told me because I wasn't very good at my job. So I just said, I'll go wherever you tell me to go. But, you know, moving around to me built it up so that when I did become what I thought was a fairly good leader, I was able to use that to really continue to grow the career. So now in the early days of Hyatt, none of your properties were franchised, right? It was all yeah. corporately managed. All so right. it was easier to move people That's right. from A to B type of thing. So you said that you were only in Atlanta for a little bit. Did you need to go a little farther north after that? or? Well, so it was interesting. And this goes back to my career. Like you, I went wherever they told me to go. And mainly because it meant every time I moved, I got a raise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was getting a raise twice a year because I'd get a raise at my move and then I'd get a raise at the annual time. And I'm thinking this compounding growth of salary is really good for me. And I'm sitting in Atlanta and Jim Melvin was actually based there again. And Jim sent me down to Orlando to help out because one of our seasoned controllers, his assistant controller and his chief accountant, we're out of, we're out of town for whatever reason. And Jay Avon was 
is his name. He's still the controller now at High Regency Atlanta. But I went down with Jay and I'm working there. And Jim called him and said, hey, do you think this kid is ready to be a controller? Right. Well, my next job was supposed to be an assistant controller somewhere. That's where everybody went. But nobody wanted to go to Charlotte for whatever reason. All of our good assistants, most of them were based in Florida. They wanted to stay in Florida. And our assistant controller in Atlanta, he didn't want to move his family to Charlotte. So they're scrambling to find somebody for Charlotte. And Jim finally came to me and said, hey, do you think you're ready to be a controller? And I was young enough and dumb enough to say, absolutely, I'm ready to be a controller. You know, I've been doing this job now for six months. I must be ready to be the president of the company. And so I moved to Charlotte. And another great experience. First of all, it was a great city. Second, we had a great team there. But third, like we talked about, it was a completely different experience than Atlanta. In Atlanta, you had 30 people in the accounting department. In Charlotte, we had four. And you learned how to do a lot more things. And for me, that was the most terrifying, that my first day in Charlotte was probably the scariest day of my life. And I woke up that morning and I walked in the office and I realized, holy crap, I'm in charge. And I have no idea what that means. <laughs> and you learned a lot from it. And what I learned, my assistant controller on day one resigned. Oh, wow. Came into my office and she said, um, you look like you're 12, right? We'll go back. <laughs> we'll go back to that. I, I looked like I was 12 for a long time. You still do. <laughs> I appreciate that. Don't, don't tell my wife that. She gets really mad when people say that about me because she's like, you never age. Well, my first day I walked in, they thought it was bring your kid to work day and I was the GM's son. But my assistant controller, she came in and she said, I can't work for somebody who has as little experience as you do. Wow. And I was like, oh, there's a wake up call. And we were two weeks behind in doing the income audit. And this was a Friday and everyone leaves for the weekend. And I was like, all right, well, I got a stack of income audits and I'll remember my night audit day. So I banged out 15 days worth of income audits on Saturday and Sunday. And she came back on Monday and she's like, where's uh, all the income audits? I was like, oh, I did those over the weekend. And, you know, it clicked that, okay, maybe this kid knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And she's like, maybe I want to stay. <laughs> And Dawn and I are still friends today. It was her birthday the day before yesterday, and we're still friends. But that initial reaction of, you know, looking at this kid and he's not ready. And sometimes you then have to be able to prove as a leader, I'm not just the boss. I've actually, I know how to do the job. And now we can sit down and talk about the business and I can help teach you. And for me, that was a great introduction into being a leader is you do have to demonstrate that you have that ability. You can't just walk in and say, they made me the boss. So now do what I, what I tell you to do. So again, I think every time you make one of those moves, 
you learn something from it as a leader, as a person, and how you do that. And Charlotte was a fantastic year and a half of my life and one of our favorite places that we lived. Yeah, I like Charlotte a lot. It's a great city. I was fortunate enough to be on the team that opened the West in Charlotte. So that was a lot of fun visiting that city so much. But all right, so now you're in Charlotte. And again, you're there for a year and a half. And the call comes again, I'm assuming, from, is it Mr. Melvin still, or is somebody else calling you to move? No, this is still Jim. So this was interesting. So while I'm in Charlotte, I get a call from my old boss in Atlanta. He had left the company and he had gone to, gosh, where did he go work? Anyway, he left the company and I can't remember where it was. And they called me and they said, we want to offer you this job. We want you to go back to Colorado Springs to take over the controller job at this hotel. And we're going to pay you 40,000 more a year than what you're making right now. Wow. So I called Jim and I said, Jim, I don't know how to turn down this job. <laughs> and Jim said, hold on right there. And he called the senior vice president of finance in the corporate office, Frank Borg. And Frank called me and he said, look, you've been with us for three years now. We think you have pretty good potential. We're not going to match that job. We, we simply can't do it. But you need to decide, do you care about that raise right now? Or do you care about a career? And we can give you a better career. And the fact that Frank took the time to call me to tell me that, and really made me think about, oh, this was for Adam Smirk. Yeah, Smart and, move, young man. Exactly. And, and he said, look at Adam Smart's portfolio, look at our portfolio, and where do you want to be in 20 years? And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought, okay, you're right. So I stayed at Hyatt, and I wanted to, and after that conversation with Frank, it made me realize I didn't want to work in a hotel for the next 30 years. You know, I was already a controller. I never wanted to be a general manager. And... I thought, okay, I want to come to the corporate office. So I applied for a job at the corporate office working in hotel accounting. And they said, you know, you're not ready for that. You don't have enough experience in the field. So we want you to go to Greenwich first. Nice so, property. Beautiful hotel. And again, kind of that step up from Charlotte, from a revenue and a size standpoint, having my wife move from Charlotte to Greenwich after she had spent most of her life in Atlanta, was a more difficult conversation, <laughs> but we knew that it wasn't going to be a long-term move. So we ended up going to Charlotte in December of 99. Wasn't quite sure if, you know, Y2K was going to end the world the week after we got to Greenwich, but we survived that. And again, a good learning experience, not from a hotel standpoint, as much as it was from a culture standpoint. I think that's also part of that moving around and moving new people. And this is when I moved out of my Jim Melvin region and moved into the Eastern region where Jerry Lewin was our senior vice president of operations. And it turned out to be one of those people that, you know, helped build my career for the, the next 20 years. But 
Jerry was a completely different person than Jim. He was a New Yorker in your face and, you know, a huge heart hidden behind all of that. But you, ha you better have a thick skin when you showed up to your owner's meeting with him. But again, building on that experience of learning something new, it was a great time in my career. And, you know, I was there like in Charlotte, like in Atlanta, like in Denver for less than two years. I was there for a year and a half. And one Monday morning, we had EC on Monday mornings. I get this phone call. It came into the general manager's office and he said, Jerry Lewin's on the phone. And when someone said Jerry Lewin's on the phone, you were immediately terrified. That was your initial state of, of reaction. Pick up the phone and it's Jerry. And Jerry said, in two minutes, Ed Rabin's going to call you and you are going to say yes to whatever he asks you to do. Ed Raven was the chief operating officer for Hyatt at the time, a high con in the company and a really fantastic person. He was the youngest general manager ever. He was, I don't know, 28 when he ran the Hyatt Regency Atlanta. And so I'm sitting there and of course, I'm not very good at following directions. And the phone rings and it's Ed and it's Chuck Floyd, who had just been promoted to senior vice president of operations. And they said, we want you to, to come to Chicago and become the director of hotel operations. And I paused and I thought back to what Jerry said, say yes to whatever they tell you. And I said, I'm not really sure I'm interested in that role. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, the last three people who took that job went on to become general managers. And I don't want to be a general manager. There's something about that job that just never appealed to me. And they said, no, 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 no. We want something different. We don't want you to be a general manager. We want somebody who has an analytics background to come here and really bring data into our business and to look at things differently. Chuck at the time had moved from sales into operations. He had worked his way up through ops. He was getting his MBA and he was looking and saying, we're going to change the way we do business. And to do that, we need to change the people that we have running that. And I want a kid who really has that analytics background. And this is where all of those moves paid off for me because I said, how'd you find me? And Chuck said, well, I picked up the phone and I called a half a dozen people and I said, give me some names. And he called his senior vice president in Atlanta, Tim Lindgren at the time. And Tim's finance guy was Jim. And one of the names they gave him was me. And then Chuck called his old HR director, Wendy Parker, who was the regional HR person based in New York, working for Jerry Lewin. And one of the names they gave him was me. And you start doing that and you look at your list and you say, okay, I've, this name's popped up a couple of times. Let me talk to that person. And that never would have happened if I hadn't moved every time they asked me to move. So, you know, it just happened that way. And after a few conversations about what they really wanted in that job, it was a perfect time to move. And 
personally, it worked out great. We were eight months pregnant with our first, and my wife wasn't necessarily in love with the Northeast. So moving to Chicago was a much easier move at the time than it probably would have been if we had been in Atlanta and I'd said, what do you think about moving to Chicago? Yeah. So it, that worked out really well for us. How was your transition going from property level position to a corporate position? Because that's always an interesting you know, transition when you leave the field and you become one of those corporate guys. Yeah, and I, I think for some people it works out really well and some people it doesn't. I think for the true operators, it's always hard going to the corporate office because they love that day-to-day -day action, that interaction with the guest, the associate, the whatever. It's different every day. Yeah. And for some people, it's relatively easy. For me, it was relatively easy. I, I loved my job. I loved working in the hotels, but I was a numbers and a data guy. I, I liked looking at the figures and figuring out our business. I loved revenue meetings. So coming to the corporate office for me was a great move, partially because I had just much more exposure to a lot of different hotels and different numbers, and it just opened up my eyes to the bigger world. But I never really missed that, you know, day to day, let's go you know, flip the ballroom for 5,000. Yeah. And I, you know, I realized that when I was in Charlotte, when I said, I don't want to be a general manager, I said, okay, I'm going to be a controller the rest of my life. And when I became a controller, I was, I wasn't 12, I was 27 at the time. And I thought, okay, if I'm going to do this job for the next 30 years, that means I'm going to close the books another 400 times. <laughs> and you know, once you've done it three or four times, it's all kind of the same. Yeah. So I, I was excited to come to the corporate office. It was always the place that I wanted to end up. Yeah, well, that's cool. Well, listen, in the essence of time, what I'd like to do is because I'd like to talk to you about Atrium because that's that's kind of cool. So, I mean, from there, again, you had this phenomenal career where you went through every uh, hotel accounting, planning and analysis, head of technology, global operations center, global hotel, global head of asset management. I mean, just a phenomenal career at Hyatt. And we could have a whole show just on your Hyatt career. But I would like to jump forward to Atrium because I'd like you to tell everybody whatever you can about Atrium and what you guys are doing. You seem to be growing nicely. You're, you're you know, like I said, you're in 29 states, over 80 hotels. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got to Atrium as well? Because that's always a great story. Yeah, so it was funny. You just listed like 10 jobs at Hyatt. Yeah. But really, all of those, I worked for Chuck Floyd. So yeah. I was just Chuck's guy with a different title for 25 years. Yeah. And it was a fantastic role. And he's one of those people that I owe much of my career to. And we spent a lot of time, and Chuck's going to retire here in the next couple of years, whenever he feels like it, I guess. And we spent a lot of time talking about what's next for me. And, you know, I had moved to my final role, which was head of asset management. And we talked about, all right, what's that transition? I turned 50 right before or right after I left Hyatt. And he said, look, you probably have 
another job or two that you could do here at Hyatt. But then, you know, there's no more rungs on that ladder. What do you want to do the rest of your career? And I said, you know, I don't know what I want to do, but I think what I want to do is sit on that other side of the table, not as a brand person, but on the owner and operator side. So I'm on the phone with Headhunter one day because the headhunter was calling about somebody who worked on my team. And he's asking about her and we went through this whole conversation and he said, well, what about you? I'm recruiting for the COO job at Magna Hospitality. And I was like, I don't know who they are. And it turned out they owned a handful of Hyatt hotels and they were owner operators. Mm -hmm. And I talked to them and their job came open and I was like, this is a perfect time if I'm going to move right? I'm going to make that move now and have that be my transition into that next phase of my career. And a month later, I get a call from Craig Mason and Craig was the president of Atrium Holdings, the ownership group here at Atrium Hospitality. And I'd known Craig since the early 2000s. Craig was a senior vice president of asset management at Host. So he was our largest owner at Hyatt. So on a quarterly basis, we'd meet. And anyway, Craig's career went one way, my career went the other, but Craig picks up the phone and calls me and said, you know, had I known you were ever going to leave Hyatt, I would have called you about this job we have at Atrium because we're hiring for our COO. And I said, well, Craig, I just took this job at Magna. You know, I'm not going to change my mind today. So he's like, okay, that's fine. We'll just stay in touch. So I'm working for Magna and I'm learning a ton because the difference between working for a publicly held billion dollar company and working for a privately held small company where everybody in the company owns a piece of every hotel changes the way you think about business and your decisions. So it was a great opportunity for me and I, I really appreciate the time that I had there. And five months later, Craig calls me and says, look, I know you said you weren't gonna leave Magna, but we have this opportunity, the COO job's open, and there's a potential for that to grow into the president's job here in the next 12 to 18 months. And that was never gonna happen at Magna because those positions are already filled by people even younger than me and who'd been there longer. And I was like, wow, what a great opportunity. And on top of that, it's based in Atlanta, which is where my wife is from. Mm -hmm. So our kids were out of the house. Our youngest just went to college in August. And we were thinking if we're going to make a move, now's the time. They're out of school. It doesn't impact the kids' school. We can get back to Atlanta. I have this job with a company that's twice the size of Magna with the ability to grow into the president's role. So I, I took the job and I came down here last February and I commuted for about six months doing that. And what a fantastic move it's been. There's a number of Hyatt people who work here and our senior vice president of revenue management, Michael Feldman, was one of the first people who called me and he said, you made the right choice. He was another one of those 25 year Hyatt people. And he said, I thought when I left Hyatt, that I would never find the culture, the family that we had at Hyatt. And we have that here at Atrium. 
and he couldn't have been more right. The team here is fantastic. Joe Kelly was our chief operating officer and our senior vice president of operations, and Joe was retiring last year. So his job last year was really to transition to me. And for 10 months, he took me around the country and introduced me to all of our general managers and hotel managers and really made that transition seamless. And, you know, he couldn't have been more open and caring and nice and all of those things that you want in a hospitality person. And it really made my transition great. And frankly, so I started in February and in May, Jonathan Ely and our owner said, look, I want to separate these president's roles. Craig was doing both the president of the ownership group and the hospitality business. And I, I want that check and balance. So are you ready to be both the president and the chief operating officer? I was like, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? Right. It's the theme of my career. Yeah. You're never prepared for the next job and you never think it's going to come soon enough. But when it does, you say yes, and then you figure it out. So I started that in May and it was such an easy transition because the team here is so fantastic. You know, some of the team we were building, we hired a new head of human resources, Annalise Cooper, who's fantastic. And some of the team has been here a while. Seth Ruzzi, who introduced me to you, Seth is our <laughs> general counsel, uh, really one of those true great guys, a, a lawyer who understands our business. And Kimberly Furlong, who's our chief commercial officer, she's the rock that I think held us together last year. She built this commercial organization that is so strong that drives our business. And she was flexible enough to take in new people like me and not push back against changes that we wanted to make. And she's part of all of those decisions. And finding a culture where you can slide into is new to me. I'd say one of the, the downsides of Hyatt, and you know, you saw this working for a large company where everybody grows up in that company. Sometimes when new people come in, they don't last very long. Because the old people don't allow them to. And that was one of the issues at Hyatt, I think, was new people coming in. And here at Atrium, we haven't had that issue because the people who have been here for so long have just been so welcoming and kind and open to everything. And, you know, it's been a big change for me. I've spent the last year traveling around, seeing our hotels and meeting our people, going to places I've never been. I was in Arkansas for the first time two weeks ago where we have six hotels. We saw those in a couple of days and you get to meet people from all over the country. And it's just such a, a great job and a, a great company and a, a big change. So you, you talked about our size and our 80 hotels and our 20,000 rooms. But in addition to those 20,000 rooms, we have 3 million square feet of meeting space. Mm -hmm. So the type of business that we're doing is different than I've ever done before. So it's a great learning experience again, as you take this role and we grow out of the pandemic to kind of see what's going on and, and how we're going to move forward. Yeah. Well, listen, I could, again, we could talk for four hours and, you know, we'd have the longest podcast in the history of the world. Your journey is amazing. Going to segue into my normal. It's 
Tuesday, you know, and we like to thank folks. And I know you've thanked a lot of people, Jerry Lewin, Jim Melvin, Chuck Floyd, Craig Mason, your original GM, Mark Hayes at the Holiday Inn. Is there anyone else that you'd like to throw in there for some Tuesday thanks before we wrap things up and let you go back to running your company? Yeah, you, you know, we were talking to uh, Jeff Bellotti a couple months ago, and he mm-hmm. finished by thanking a couple of administrative assistants. Yes. And I need to do the same thing, not because necessarily they helped me administratively, but they were the conduit that made everything happen. And Chuck, you know, as I told you, I was Chuck's guy for 20 years. I was only Chuck's guy because Chuck's admin, Don Zivic, let me in the door. <laughs> right. And, and, and admins at the time, and she's been with Chuck for, you know, they can make you or break you. You can get in the door or you can not. Yeah. And Don's a great friend of mine. And she was actually my first interview when I came to the corporate office while I was waiting to talk to Chuck. They made Don interview me. And I was terrified of her as well. But, you know, she gave me that information. She allowed access. And she was one of those few people that you could talk to when you're making these decisions and you're in the inner circle and you're trying to keep things confidential, you still need to bounce ideas off of somebody. And she was that person. So one, I have to thank her because it's true. And two, I have to thank her because if I don't, she'll be really mad at me. And my second is Rebecca DeLeon, who was my admin. It When I ran hotel accounting, she was actually the first person I hired when I got that job. And she was working in capital management at the time. But when I took over hotel accounting, I needed somebody who knew everybody in the world. And Rebecca knew everybody. She was friends with everybody. She knew every controller. If I said I have an issue, Rebecca knew who to go to to go fix it. And in the world of it's a small world, Rebecca is now married to Jim Melvin. Oh, my God. And Rebecca was with me for... 15 years before I left Hyatt. And she was one of those people that anytime I needed anything, didn't matter what it was, I'd give it to her to go figure it out. And everybody needs one of those go figure it out people. Mm-hmm. And Rebecca was that person for me. So I need to, I need to thank her as well. And like you said, I had a pretty long career. I could make a really long list. And I probably still forget people. So I'm going to stick with those two because they're clearly at the top of my list. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. And like I said, you've got such a great story and a great journey. And, you know, the the way that you've developed a career from that first gig as a night auditor, not knowing that the hotel world is going to be your path and look at, you know, look at what you've done. So again, we could go on for hours, but I know you have a company to run and I want to thank you again for doing the show. It's been fun to connect. And thanks to Seth Ruzzi for putting us together. I pay him handsomely to say nice things about me. So that's how we connected. But I'll close like I always do, folks. If it's Tuesday, let's get out there and thank some people. They're going to appreciate it. and You're going to feel pretty good doing it. So, Rob, again, thank you so much. And congrats on such a great career of a young guy who's still got a long runway to go. So thanks so much. I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. you enjoyed the show today and thanks so much for tuning in we really appreciate it 
If you would like to be a guest on the show so that you can thank someone for their role in your career, please reach out to me via our Tuesday Thanks website at www.tuesdaysthanks.com. Remember, a sincere thank you goes a long way to making someone feel appreciated and can make their day. So until next time, be well, be safe, and please don't be afraid to tell someone thanks. Chat soon.